Hi, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, best-selling author and senior director at CFGI, where I help my clients with their most important finance and accounting issues. Welcome to Behind the Numbers. This is the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. I was reading recently that it would take a normal person approximately 181 million years to download all the data from the internet today. So today we're going to be talking about data management and data analytics with my guest Gary Melling, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Acquired Insight. Gary, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here. All the way from Toronto, Canada. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Gary, I always ask my guests to just start out by introducing themselves and their firm briefly and then we'll jump in. So if you would, please. Sure. Thank you. Yes, I'm uh, CEO of Acquired Insights, co-founder. I co-founded it with my partner, Tracy Fieber. Uh, we basically are a strategic management consulting and systems aggregation firm specializing in artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive analytics, and some additional other technologies, really depending on what the client's interests are. So, for example, humanoid robotics, chatbots, avatars, and so on. Great. We work primarily in financial services, and we've been moving most uh, recently very aggressively into healthcare. And we're going to talk about a bunch of those things, but I want to start our conversation by sharing another little factoid that I uncovered. Um, I've seen this several places on the internet, including on your website, um, that 90% of all the data in the world has been created within the last two years. And roughly 90% of that data is unstructured. And it seems to me as a layman with, with respect to data management that business professionals and uh, individuals in general need to make better decisions with data. And I, I imagine it has to be something that's a little more structured. Can, can you talk about that? Sure, thanks. Well, corporations, especially over the last uh, 25, 30 years, maybe a little bit longer, but more or less, have been focusing on structured data. Structured data comes through uh, some traditional means, for example, enterprise resource planning systems, ERP systems. We saw a, a massive influx of ERP implementations prior to Y2K for those of us that were in the business world back then. Um, structured data is very useful. Um, however, basically in order to use structured data, typically it requires the operator initiate a query. And there's a tremendous amount of, of uh, computational uh, work that can be done behind the scenes. Uh, but the real issue that most business leaders are facing today is that while um, you're right, that quote said that 90% of all the data has been created in the last 24 months. The, the second part of that uh, discussion also said that 90% of that data is unstructured data, as right. you said, which basically means that unstructured data is, um, it's, it's handwritten notes, it's photographs, it's videos, um, something written on a notepad, uh, it could be a bill. Uh, a tremendous amount of unstructured or semi-structured data is available for business leadership. But up until now, at least most recently, they've not been able to include that kind of data in their repository for business decision support. And so I always go back to say, if an, air, if an airplane used only 20% of its available thrust, it would never get off the ground. Um, so what we're doing is we're providing a mechanism and a key to unlock access to that other 80% of data for better business decisions. Interesting stuff. Where does artificial intelligence fit into this whole scheme? 
Great question. A lot of people struggle with what is artificial intelligence? How do we use it? Where does it fit in? Yeah, why don't you start by describing what it is? Because it, it gets a lot of publicity, but I think there's a lot of folks who would really want to understand better what that really means. Well, artificial intelligence basically is simulating the human mind. So for uh, in order to make decisions, one has to have data. Uh, we can gather that data through our senses, eyes, ears, nose, etc. Um, for the brain. Uh, when we take a look at artificial intelligence, though, it's more than just data. Data has to be classified, it has to be categorized, it has to be put into a format where artificial intelligence can actually work. And so the next step beyond first gathering good data is machine learning, where all that classification and coding gets done. And then after that, one applies artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence basically is a series of mathematical expressions that express a question. Uh, they look at data in, in a way that allows the algorithm to be written to query the data, and then beyond that, to take a look at almost running free and making a variety of uh, connections that the human mind is just simply not capable of making. So, for example, there are two schools of thought on the brain. One is that the human brain can work uh, basically multitasking, doing five or six tasks at the same time. Uh, other schools of thought suggest, well, the human brain cannot do that, but what it does do is it does a quick succession of tasks and that represents or makes it look like it is uh, happening all at the same time. By contrast and comparison, computers are not working in five or six tasks at a time, but millions, hundreds of millions, and in some cases, billions of decisions all at the same time. So this isn't just for what we'll call repetitive tasks. This involves something that's deeper when you talk about machine learning. Correct. Artificial intelligence is, is taking that, that classified data, classification of data, and turning it into insights. The artificial intelligence gleans insights by connecting what seemingly might be disparate data points, but finding um, a pattern, an organization to that data, that probably was previously unknown to the human that's operating that, that piece of equipment or machine or computer. Yeah, at the beginning of the program, you mentioned a couple of industry verticals that you're working with. Are there, in addition to those, I imagine, are there additional industries that really lend themselves well to artificial intelligence applications? Yes, uh, we've seen, uh, first of all, artificial intelligence has been around for about 50, 60 years, but it really hasn't been commercialized and gone mainstream until about, let's say, for argument's sake, about five years ago. Um, some of the industries that have really blossomed with access to artificial intelligence are things like telematics, um, industrial internet of things. Um, telematics would be applied, let's say, in the transportation industry, where you have a truck carrying a variety of different cargoes. It's no longer sufficient just to have a refrigerator truck turned on or off. There are all kinds of technologies that are monitoring tire pressure, video cams looking at the driver, um, uh, looking at uh, geopositioning, uh, looking at all the various aspects of, of the driver and the experience the driver's having in the vehicle, as well as the vehicle itself. Um, we're seeing a real take up in oil and gas, in healthcare. Uh, think of a piece of equipment that's operating remotely. It might take a, a technician a three hour helicopter ride to get to a remote site. Um, and maybe they're going there to service a piece of equipment that traditionally has a service warranty saying it must be serviced every six months. Yet artificial intelligence 
by, by monitoring the piece of equipment over time, may actually conclude that this piece of equipment, this specific piece of equipment, doesn't really need to be serviced for 10 months or 12 months. So companies are finding very creative ways to lower their capital equipment costs, their operational costs, by using artificial intelligence to work within experiential data that's accurate, uh, it's complete, they can use the machine learning and they can use the artificial intelligence to compare, let's say, what they're actually observing with a piece of equipment to the service manuals and the contracts that have been signed with the providers to ensure that that equipment is performing optimally. Yeah, one of the big concerns that I see a lot with regard to artificial intelligence is this um, idea of disruption of the workforce. Do people need to fear AI, Gary? I really don't think so. I, I think, first of all, um, you know, the, the transition from uh, working without artificial intelligence to now embracing it and, and hopefully making it ubiquitous in, in everything we do, um, I really don't think that that concern needs to be there. And the reason for that is that before we get to a stage where there's wholesale swapping out of humans for machines and computers and artificial intelligence, and, and there will certainly be some industries that are more aggressive and progressive than others, but I think the first real major leap is going to be for artificial intelligence to complement and work with humans in a work environment. So it's not a wholesale one or zero. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a large transition period, more of a wide gray line instead of a black and white line. Okay. Gary, for the folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you, your company, how they can work with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Gary L. Melling. Uh, I'm from a, from a contact position through phones and, and the internet. Our website is www.ai inc.cloud. We have a 1-800 number, 1-800-627-4151. And of course, if someone really has something pressing and they need to reach me on my direct office line, they can call me at 905-634-4357. That's great. Thank you. just want to kind of finish up the, the area of AI here in the uh, few remaining minutes that we have left in this first segment, maybe four minutes or so to go here and ask you to look into your crystal ball and, and tell us what does the future of AI and machine learning look like? Where do you envision applications emerging? I think um, an area that we're very passionate about is healthcare. I, I know we've come up through financial services, fintech, and, and for me, um, one of the things I constantly do is look for a higher purpose to everything we do. So, for example, even though we've been working in the financial services sector for about 15 years through our network of, of partners, um, the, the financial services work that we do, I position as something we're doing to help families to help individuals make better use of the funds they do have either available to them or accessible through, let's say, a financial services institution. Uh, previously, there may be people who didn't qualify for loans or mortgages or whatever, and a lot of it was uh, somebody with a clipboard, you know, writing some notes and, and capturing uh, elements of their own experience and applying it in a particular situation. I think that artificial intelligence, we're seeing more and more through robo-underwriters and, and uh, working with a lot of the uh, financial data that's currently available in a very highly regulated industry. Uh, it has the promise of, of making people uh, 
are allowing people to be more accessible to funds that can really make critical impacts in their lives. A family moving, let's say, into a new home, something like that. Healthcare is, is probably the other area that will see magnificent strides. Uh, everything from what we're calling precision medicine, uh, taking a look at a holistic uh, perspective of an individual. We as humans are as unique as our fingerprints. The technology allows um, medical data and information to be analyzed through machine learning and artificial intelligence, taking into account blood type and human genome mapping and lifestyle and all kinds of things, and creating an awareness for that individual of what they're likely to encounter on their life journey with respect to healthcare. And more specifically, what can be done to improve the quality of their life by making some changes here and there along the way to extend their life while uh, maximizing the quality of their life. Yeah, and I think for the folks back in the, uh, the production room, I think this is a really good spot to take our commercial break. Gary, don't go anywhere. We're going to have to pay a few bills here at this end, and we'll be right back. We're, t we're talking about uh, data management and data analytics with Gary Melling, and we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Boardwalks built for fun. Legendary rock and roll clubs. This is how we do it. Casinos by the ocean. Now that's New Jersey. 130 miles of beautiful beaches. Solid rock. And everything in between. <laughs> now that's New Jersey. Burlington County College. Is now Rowan College at Burlington County. Still the same great faculty. At a community college ranked top 50 in the nation. Basically, we earn more and pay less. RCBC students are accepted at Rowan University after graduation. And get a bachelor's degree for around $30,000. Online and Mount Laurel students get a 15% Rowan University tuition discount. And at many scholarship opportunities. So you earn more and pay even less. Rowan College of Burlington County. Your path to success. They are the greatest fighting force the world has ever seen. But what does it take to strengthen our service members? What does it take to let them know that we stand behind them, wherever they are? What does it take to bridge the distance and keep them connected to family, home, and country? And what does it take to prepare them for their future when their service to the nation is complete? What does it take to strengthen our service members so they can be the greatest force for good in the world? It takes a force. Be a force behind the forces. Share a message today at force.uso.org. I want to be a contender. I want a warm belly to sleep on. A big house. How do I look? Do, do I look good? I want to play hard. My nails done once a month. I want. I want. I want a home. I just want a home. I want someone to love. Last year, more than 30,000 companion animals came to us without homes. 20,000 of them were felines. Let's make some homes together. Add us on social media to watch bloopers, behind the scenes footage, previews, and more.
Choosing Medicare coverage can be a very confusing and complicated process. Help is just a phone call away, 856-226-4800. As a licensed insurance agent, I'll assist you in making an informed and confident decision on a Medicare plan that meets your needs, lifestyle, and budget. Call me today for a free, no obligation, Medicare benefits. Here we go. All right, everyone, welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about data management and data analytics with Gary Melling, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Acquired Insights. And before the break, Gary, you were talking about a couple of things. One, uh, an industry vertical of healthcare, and you, you started to mention about doing things for a higher purpose. And uh, I'd like you to share a story that you shared with me when we were having our prep conversation about a higher purpose watershed moment, I think is what you described it with regard to a cancer center. Are you able to share that with our audience? Yes, I'd love to, Dave. Thanks. Uh, I think that uh, part of being uh, a business leader is to hopefully impart some sense of, of um, leadership and, and drive with your work team. And I always look for that higher purpose. And, and along the way of my 40 plus year of career, um, I've looked for those watershed moments. And uh, I had one in healthcare a couple years ago, which basically allows me to transcend the data and the information and the knowledge and the computers and, and really make a human story about what it is we do. And these are the stories that drive me and I share with our team and, and uh, hopefully, you know, they create their own stories along the way. Um, in this particular situation, we were contacted by uh, what's really a clinic of last resort. There's a, a particular type of cancer that affects children and senior citizens. And in this particular situation, the, the managing director and founder of this clinic contacted us. Uh, he was looking for a better way. Uh, and here's the scenario. Uh, by the time these children come to this clinic of last resort, they've really uh, exhausted all of the advantages Western medicine can offer them. They, they've been through all the stereotypical treatments and so on. And unfortunately, their health is still deteriorating. They come to this clinic of last resort and the first two weeks they're at the clinic, the medical staff there are consumed with gathering about 50,000 data points on each young patient. And that again is human genome mapping and blood typing. They're taking medical history, all kinds of data that they're gathering. And it, it really takes the full two weeks to gather that data. And there's not much that we can do uh, from a data side uh, to help them until they've gathered this complete repository of data. However, once they have that raw data, they send it off to uh, six to eight world-class uh, uh, centers for medical data analysis. Uh, those centers take about eight to ten weeks depending on the complexity of the data. They analyze that data, they create a report, and they send that report back to this doctor and his staff. Uh, and when they receive it, they generally take a, a week to two to analyze that data with highlighters and pens and they're having conversations based on their experience and so on. And out of that, what they really hope to get is a very detailed treatment plan for this child. Now, while that's all very laudable and they're working so hard and they're dedicated and they're extremely knowledgeable and smart about medical and medical health care, one of these things that these children don't have to their advantage is time. 
They're literally on death's doorstep when they show up on, at the clinic. And so while there's nothing we can do about the two weeks to gather the data, the remaining 10 to 12 weeks where data analysis is happening and, and best practices are invoked and so on, I felt that there's a way that we could apply artificial intelligence and make a, a real discernible different in, in how these children are treated as far as their medical care is concerned. So I approached the, the managing director and I said, if we could take that 10 or so weeks of data analysis and we could compress it into two to four hours, what kind of an impact would that have on the lives of these young children, on their families, on the caregivers, and your ability to serve more children faster? And it was a very emotional moment. It was For me, it was one of those what I call watershed moments because, yes, you have to have good technology and you have to know about data and analysis and all kinds of things. But what really resonated with me, why this was a watershed moment, is I could take all of the gobbledygook that we do in technology and I could make it relevant and look in a child's eyes and say, you know, I think we can help you. And so for me, in sharing this story with our team, it really became a very powerful message, which we started to subscribe to anytime we took on any other kind of project. Let's look for the higher purpose. We want to solve some of the world's biggest problems, whether that's uh, in this particular situation, these children with cancer, whether it's working, uh, making more financial funds available to families, uh, whether it's helping them planning their future, their financial future, there are all kinds of things that we can do. Uh, health and safety, uh, taking a look at removing a human from a physically dangerous situation, let's say in a high risk environment, it could be on an oil rig, it could be first responders. Uh, so we look for the higher purpose and, and fundamentally, yes, we have to have great technology, but uh, since it's behind the numbers, uh, what resonates with me is how do we identify and what is that story that's going to resonate with all of us so we can absolutely give the best of what we're capable of giving because there's a human connection to what it is we're doing. It's not just a faceless client. It's not just data. There are real lives at stake here. Yeah, and that's a, such a great story, and I thank you so much for sharing that. That had such a tremendous resonance with me when you, when you shared that with me. And um, I, I, as I mentioned, and I think the audience understands that um, the start with why concept, the, the deeper mission, the deeper purpose behind whatever we're doing is something that's so important for, I think, pretty much everyone in the workplace. It just gives them a greater sense of purpose and mission. Uh, so I, I congratulate you on that. I think that's just a phenomenal story. Um, and you mentioned behind the numbers, but I want to go from that and segue into the numbers just a little bit and, and talk about the ROI, if you will, on what you're describing here. Because besides the humanitarian aspect of it, which is phenomenal, when I think of the ROI here, it's speed plus accuracy. What does that translate into in terms of the ROI from your perspective? Well, let's take a moment just to do a little bit of contrast and comparison. Um, I spent years on Wall Street doing ERP implementations for large financial services institutions. Uh, back in the early to mid late 90s, uh, Y2K was a big driver. It was not uncommon uh, to have an engagement that would be 200, 300, 400 consultants in different geographical locations, all working for this one corporate client. Uh, the, the project itself could take three, four, five years. Uh, the ROI was at best questionable. Um, there were other reasons to do an ERP implementation. It could be to get a consolidated view of the financials and the business itself. But if, if someone was engaging in an ERP implementation back then, 
purely for an ROI, that would be the wrong reason. Well, if we fast forward to today and we see that open, uh, open source is, is driving some of the artificial intelligence access we're seeing, uh, I can think of individuals and organizations who want to take artificial intelligence and make it an open source tool uh, that anyone can really come in, get their training on for free, and then start using. If we, if we take a look at even in, in very structured commercial engagements right now, rather than taking four to five years to complete an engagement, what we're able to do with artificial intelligence typically is take about three months to do a very comprehensive uh, audit of the client's infrastructure, technology, business processes, etc. Uh, previously, that would have taken a year with an ERP system. Uh, when we design our solution, we have a, a very large library of, of artificial intelligence tool and machine learning capability. In fact, our library is so large that we spend a disproportionately large amount of time up front simply trying to understand what problem the, the client is trying to solve. Once we know that, we can go to our library and systematically identify the modules that we need to do, import them. It's a very drag-and-drop configuration. We do write some code for API to access data. But the bottom line is that what typically was a four- or five-year process, now end-to-end -end can, can actually be nine to 12 months. And within another 12 months, we're typically providing a 100% ROI. So 24 months versus 60 months to implement and questionable ROI, I think, is a decisive move in the right direction. Yeah, no question. Gary, for everyone who's watching and listening, want to learn more about you, how can they get in contact with you? Uh, our 1-800 number is 1-800-627-4151. They can uh, email us at info at AIINC.cloud. Uh, and my uh, direct office line is 905-634-4357. Thank you. We only have a couple of minutes remaining here, maybe two and a half minutes, I think, to go in the program. Time does go very quickly when we're having fun. Uh, we didn't really talk much about predictive analytics, but if you could, in the remaining couple of minutes that we have left, we'd love to get your perspective on what industries are you seeing um, the, the bigger use of predictive analytics? We'd love to understand how that's being involved in healthcare, for example. Yeah, well, predictive analytics is, is an interesting field. Um, of course, it implies that you have already uh, in your scope uh, good data, enough data, accurate data, timely data, and the ability to refresh that data. Um, so data is, is the pillar upon which all of this, is, this these advanced technologies are built. Assuming you have that, when you get into predictive analytics, the, the idea is to be able to see if you can accurately forecast a particular event happening at a particular time in a particular way. So think of, for example, what I, an example I talked about earlier was um, uh, taking a look at a piece of equipment uh, and that, that particular piece of equipment has a uh, service warranty and the manufacturer may be saying that you need to, to service that piece of equipment every six months. In, in this particular situation, uh, predictive analytics may suggest that you know you, you can actually go longer or you may need to do it more aggressively. Uh, another example would be we've been approached by a, a company in the oil and gas sector that has a, a very expensive drill bit that they use for, uh, for downhole and horizontal drilling as well, whether it's in oil, gas. Um, and it's a very expensive proposition when you pull a drill bit out of the hole too quickly because there's still life left on that bit 
and these bits are very, very expensive. So you don't want to pull it out prematurely because you're concerned about having wear left on the bit. On the other hand, if you wait too long, uh, what can happen is the bill can, the, sorry, the bit can actually get stuck in the hole, and then you have a whole host of other problems you have to solve. How do you go down and get retrieve that bit, or do you leave the bit there and drill around it? Uh, again, a very, very expensive proposition. So we're now involved in using uh, data coming from about 30 different sensors on this drill bit and using that, that data with uh, machine learning and predictive analytics to suggest when the optimum time is to pull that bit out of the hole so that the operators, first of all, are safe. And secondly, that the, the money that's being spent on these drill bits is, is being spent effectively and efficiently. So predictive analytics has a, a very strong hand in, in helping the operators and the owners of the company, the management, know how to best get life out of whatever equipment they're using. That's one example. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit more, if you would, about what, what you mentioned uh, earlier about an everyday robot. Uh, robots have been around for a long time. We have them in our homes. Uh, about 60 seconds, give me your, your quick download on everyday robots. Everyday robots have been with us for years and years and years. I'm, I'm constantly amazed at what people say, well, I can't wait to get, get a robot in my workplace or in my home. And I'll say, well, you already have one. And they'll say, well, what do you mean? Well, would you, you know, consider your garage door opener a robot? It is. It's performing a task that a human might do, but it's a machine with electronics doing it for you. What about your programmable coffee maker? When you wake up, do you have to mix everything together or can you do it the night before and press program so that when you wake up, that hot cup of coffee is ready for you? We've been surrounded by robotics for decades. It's just that we haven't called it that. And that's part of the marketing. That's, that's one way the technology can easily be slipped into our daily lives without making a big fuss about it. And it's been working very well. And that's a very great perspective, very insightful. Gary, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Behind the Numbers. Uh, your story is fascinating. You shared a lot of great insights, and I know the audience got a lot of value out of it. And for you watching and listening, I want to thank you for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. We've been talking with Gary Melling, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Acquired Insights. If you enjoyed the program, I invite you to please subscribe. And if you got value, please consider rating this program. And if you'd like to consider being a guest on the program or learn a little bit more about me, I invite you to contact me after the program. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Gary, thank you again. And for our audience, until next time, we will see you again on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everyone.